When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast featuring exclusive content and interviews with leaders in the WordPress community, covering everything from development to integrating your digital marketing strategy with WordPress. Join host David Vogelpohl of WP Engine and special guests from across the community as they keep you up to speed on the latest advancements in WordPress. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at WPDavidV or subscribe to Press This on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or download the latest episodes at WMR.FM. In this week's episode, what we're going to be talking about is why talking to your host before a large WordPress build might be the right idea. And joining us for that conversation is Mr. Aaron Onkin. Aaron, welcome to Press This. Hi, David. Thanks. Awesome. So glad to have you here. And for those listening, you might be wondering, like, well, why might I need to talk to my WordPress host before I build out a site? Um, and really what Aaron's going to be covering today um, is, is really considerations around um, maybe the way your hosting environments work and what those environment variables are, um, but also some pointers around um, how to approach that from a scalability perspective. And I think there's some really interesting insights Aaron has to share around that. Um, Aaron, uh, I'll kick us off with our first question that I ask the same of every guest. Um, but I was wondering if you could tell me about, uh, briefly tell me about your WordPress origin story. Um, yeah, happy to. So um, I came to uh, WordPress by way of uh, Flywheel, actually. Uh, I uh, started out uh, after college at an insurance job. Oddly enough, a lot of people are kind of surprised to find that out. And uh, after a few years of doing that, I was uh, getting a little burned out, was looking for like a, an entire career change. So I um, enrolled in a coding boot camp. I was actually trained as a Rails developer. And uh, after uh, doing that, I got back in touch with some of my old friends uh, from some other projects that I'd been working on around the Omaha area. Um, and they were working uh, on their startup at the time, Flywheel. Oh. Uh, so I did my career change uh, that way. Uh, shortly after starting at Flywheel, I, um, in order to sort of get my feet wet with WordPress, I had a passing familiarity with it. I uh, picked up a couple of freelance clients and built a couple of WordPress sites um, for uh, a couple of clients. So I know a lot of people learned WordPress 
uh, by like taking courses. I, instead of like paying someone to teach me WordPress, I had someone pay me to learn WordPress, which adds an odd spin to it. You learn a lot of things pretty quickly. Uh, that way I don't necessarily recommend it for everyone. Uh, but that's how I sort of got my uh, start with WordPress. Um, Trial by fire. I like it. Uh, yeah. Lee Trevino, the golfer, has a line where somebody asked him, like, uh, were you nervous making that putt to win the tournament and win a million dollars? He's like, no, I was much more nervous when I was betting a thousand dollars that I didn't have to, to make a putt. <laughs> uh, it yeah. sounds like uh, that was a real forcing function for you there. Yes, uh, I I realized that I probably added a bit more pressure to the scenario than I needed to, but it worked for me because uh, since I was working at uh, Flywheel at the time and doing like freelance work on the side, I had, uh, you know, a, a lot of people who had deep WordPress knowledge to like fall back on if I had questions about anything. All right, so. good deal. Now, uh, I guess for those that followed along, they might have realized that uh, WP Engine purchased Flywheel, I guess it was like two years ago or a year and a half ago now or whatever. And and so now you're kind of within the WP Engine org and, and you've been in a kind of unique position, I think, for this topic of like, well, what should I be considering when I do my build relative to things like environment variables? But could you tell people like why you've seen this so many times? Like, what do you do in your day job? Yeah, so I'm a solutions engineer for WP Engine. Uh, I was a solutions engineer at Flywheel when it was acquired. And um, I, I noticed when I was sort of folded into the greater uh, solutions engineering team at WP Engine, that there are a great deal of similarities between our two programs. Uh, not the least of which being many of us had a very similar trajectory to become a solutions engineer. Uh, we often started out in support. I started out uh, doing support. Um, I had time to do uh, work within uh, uh, sort of our fledgling onboarding program, which became a, a, a more robust program later on. Uh, and also um, had a role sort of similar to a technical support manager in, in many like uh, managed WordPress organizations where you started the primary uh, point of contact from a technical perspective for some bigger accounts. So you've got um, like the support side and then you've got currently the solutions engineering side and, and really that's around like helping people uh, figure out what like the best infrastructure answer is for them. I, I guess to kind of put it in terms the rest of the audience might uh, be familiar with. And so in that, I guess you've probably experienced both people that are like planning for the future and then people that didn't plan for the future and are like reacting right now. Is that a good way to classify? A hundred percent. Okay. Um, during, during various points in, in the, the life cycle of a site, uh, both like before it's built, during its build, um, as it's going live, and then as it's being supported like long-term. All right, good deal. Well, we appreciate all the, uh, the um, I guess, trials you went through on behalf of others up, up to now, but we're going to leverage that experience, Aaron, and we, we want to get some insights for our listeners here. Um, so, so thinking about it then, like through, through like, tactics and, and like kind of what what you're really trying to plan for but i was wondering if you could tell me what kinds of things can go wrong if you don't fully consider your environments and their variables when building a site like what 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 are the pain points people feel when they don't do this it's a good question um because the most obvious is 
your site's going to go down during a critical time. Like that's the thing most people are most aware of and are trying to avoid. And that's definitely a possibility, but there are other things as well. Um, some things I've seen are people don't fully understand the environment. Maybe they're migrating to <clears throat> or, uh, how certain workflows work long term. And so they'll encounter a pain point that they did not anticipate. And it makes the project like maybe even not feasible down the road. Uh, for example, sometimes this comes up with multi-site uh, where people uh, maybe have a basic understanding of multi-site and how it works and maybe even how it works within the environment you are building on and launching on and supporting your site on. But Sometimes there's uh, an oversight. I've seen this happen a few times lately where people don't fully understand how, um, especially when domain mapping comes into play, how SSL certificates have to be regenerated every time uh, a new domain is added to the number of domains that you're supporting on a site. And that is a big factor when it comes to supporting your site long term. I've also seen this happen with LMS sites um, pretty frequently, where um, oftentimes people are building a, like a learning management system in WordPress with a goal of attracting like a certain number of students to pay for a course. And they have in their mind what they'll do is on a regular basis, they'll release a new course, send out an email blast. A lot of people will visit the site to consume the course. Um, but what they don't take into account is that they're oftentimes driving a lot of traffic to their site all at once and they're on a relatively small plan and the plan that they've selected for that site isn't rated to support that amount of concurrent uncacheable traffic. Uh, so that's another consideration I've seen people like not take into it. Um, also with LMS sites, uh, people are often surprised to find out how much it costs to support an LMS site. So I've seen people uh, get all the way down the, their uh, sort of workflow about to release a new site. They're ready to take it live perhaps even the next day when they realize that the amount they're going to have to spend uh, for hosting their LMS site invalidates their business model because they're not charging enough of their students. Um, That's really interesting that you point out those LMS sites or, or, you know, course sites. I've seen that, you know, kind of in that same vein, I guess the same kind of gist, but this notion of like, you know, promoting your course via these mass email lists. And then all of a sudden, like all your traffic for the month comes in almost on one day. Mm -hmm. I've seen that and I've seen bad planning around that. Um, it's also interesting to hear you talk about the workflows, you know, not feasible. I'm going to use this tech or integrate with this thing. And, and something about that in your environment doesn't allow that at all, which, which could be a blocker that you might not even discover until you get into it. And then I guess you kind of pointed out also, you know, sites can go down presumably from, you know, too much resource utilization or uh, potentially failures within the, the tech stack of the build. And I think those are some great uh, war story examples <laughs> to help people understand like why this is important. I want to kind of get into the strategy part though, where, where we start to engage with, with our hosts and understand like what kind of questions to ask and how to work on that strategy. Um, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Here's the truth you need to know about podcasting. The biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high-quality professional podcast. Luckily for you, there's a solution to your problem. 
If you're an online marketer who really needs to grow an audience of buyers but can't do all the heavy lifting alone, then here's the solution you're looking for. Introducing the DFY Podcasting System. Here's what you get. 30 minutes of one-on-one training. A weekly podcast for you or your company. Distribution to almost every podcast portal. An embeddable player for your website. An ebook called How to Podcast, created for WMR.FM show hosts. And much, much more. And best of all, you'll start seeing results with the DFY podcast system within a couple of weeks. You're just one podcast away from growing brand awareness and engagement in your business. Log on to podcast.wmr.fm and sign up for a deeply discounted rate today. That's podcast.wmr.fm. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I'm interviewing Aaron Onken about uh, why you should be talking to your host before a big WordPress build. Um, Right before the break, Aaron, you were explaining a little bit about um, you know, some of the things that can go wrong if people don't take into account their environment variables, um, everything from resource planning to like, I, I love how you also pointed out how like, how you drive traffic to your site, not only influences your resource planning, but also your cost structure, which could affect your business model. I think those are really good points to make. Um, wondering though, like, what is the worst example? And please don't use a name of a company or an individual, <laughs> but like, the worst example where someone like had to totally rebuild uh, their site because of something they didn't plan for relative to their environment. Yeah, it actually came up fairly fairly recently where I think it's maybe not the worst, but it's the worst one in recent memory for me. Um, and it was a site where they built it to make there was a lot of of dynamic content on on all pages. And that made it so that, you know, the, the caching layer that we had uh, applied to it was of minimal utility because like a lot of the content could be served up via the cache, but every page load had at least a little bit of uncached content on it, which meant that uh, a lot of the numbers that you, we, we saw or we have around our uh, visit counts for a lot of uh, our plans that are available kind of went out the window because every cache page load had a certain amount of uncached uh, content that came with it as well. Um, And that meant that right before taking the site live, this is like days before, they were faced with the reality that the plan that we would have to put the site on in order for it to be successful was way out of budget. And they only had like three days to basically rebuild a site from scratch because it was core functionality that we pointed out problems in. Um, And that was a scenario that I... I don't want anyone to be in because the developer especially was in a pretty tight spot. You know, I feel like this particular observation with this company, it, it's, it's like it is specific to your host and your environment, right? Because you're kind of pointing out like um, if the content is not cacheable, then that's basically taxing the server's resources more perhaps than it should. And because of that, um, you, you can, of course, throw hardware at anything, but your point was that because it wasn't as cacheable, um, they therefore needed more kind of infrastructure requirements for their hosting environment, uh, more so than they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like this is like a general tip, though, because like having cacheable content also makes your site fast, um, just even independent of the financial uh, implications of, of needing more infrastructure. I mean, w- you agree, right? Like, 
yes, caching is generally preferred if you can versus dynamic is, content on almost every page. It is your best friend in, okay. in across almost all categories. So even without even with an unlimited budget for infrastructure, it's still a good thing uh, to try to make as much of your content cacheable as possible. Yes. Okay, but but you're saying like if people don't plan for that then the, and of course people don't have an unlimited budget for hosting an infrastructure, then it can start to have a negative impact on the cost of that and, and thus cause you issues uh, in, in your business strategy relative to your site. Yes, the, the scenarios that I see most frequently occur between the end client, the agency who built the site, and then the hosting provider, in this case like us, where we're trying to find common ground when it comes to like budget and performance and also hardware. And those all have to work together. But if you ignore one component of it, uh, then the other two are very tough to, to make sure that you can reconcile as well. Okay, so then now I'm like wondering, like, so that's, that's around caching, but what about like functionality of a site? You know, I know, um, you know, one of the, the favorite go-tos of people trying to save server resources is things like offloading. So like through that lens of like more functionality versus like dynamic and static content, and I know those two are connected, but, but just for a minute thinking about more of like the functionality of the site, do you have a, a, good, a good worst example of, again, no names, of someone that had to rebuild because of the functionality of the site and or i'm sorry um because of the scale of traffic the site was receiving maybe connected to that functionality like did they build the site the wrong way after they got to scale at traffic yeah so uh one of the the best examples i can think of of uh, a rebuild or at least one that the developer wanted to rebuild after they'd gone down a path uh came up with multi-site uh, which is unfortunate because I think multi-site gets a bad rap sometimes. Um, but that only happens because there are precious few use cases that are really a good fit for WordPress multi-site. Uh, there are a lot of others that are a bad fit, and sometimes it's misapplied. And uh, shortly after I became an SE, I was doing an on-site consultation with a university. And they had asked questions about how single sites work on our platform, and they asked questions about how multi-sites work on our platform. At which point I said, okay, you asked about both, which, which is your presence? Do you have a multi-site presence? Or do you have a single site presence? And they said that they had adopted multi-site early on. And higher education is actually one of the better use cases for multi-site. It's one of the ones that we talk about as being a, a pretty good fit. Uh, and this was one university that had done that, where they started building a multi-site network with every department having its own subsite on a subdomain. And that makes perfect sense because all of the subsites had the same look and feel and basic functionality. That should be a good use case. But even they said that they got so far down the path that they started to realize that multi-site had solved about as many problems as it caused for them. So that like they had, they, all they did was swap pain points for different pain points. But once they had adopted that as their, their presence, it was really difficult for them to back out of it. So they couldn't rebuild even though they wanted to. And so I think that's one of the better situations that we could probably help avoid a lot of times. Is that, is that more like you, the fact that you've seen a lot of sites and deployments and have some insights into how people might consider their architecture or is it actually related to like a host or server environment variable? Actually, since you mentioned it, it's, it's kind of both. <clears throat> like we've got a pretty deep experience on how certain types of sites work on our platform, but we also have pretty deep knowledge about how certain types of sites work 
especially at scale. Uh, so we see people encounter certain pain points just by virtue of being a managed host. Um, like I mentioned earlier with uh, how SSL is generated for like multi-sites, that can be hosting environment specific, but there are certain commonalities that are gonna to apply to basically all hosting environments as well. All right, well, I think anyone listening uh, that, that's building multi-site, Aaron, would, uh, would definitely uh, consider reaching out to their, their host to, to talk about it. I think it, it is such an interesting construct. I, you know, thinking back to my agency days, which I ran an agency for five years, um, I don't think I, I hardly ever talked to the host about the, the, the build itself. You know, it's kind of like once you got through with the build and you were ready to launch and you're like, okay, well, let's go buy something now <laughs> um, versus like thinking about that earlier on and, you know, having sat on both sides of the table, the host side and, and the builder side, I, I definitely see the value. Um, and, and so I think as folks listening think like, okay, well, maybe I'll go do that. I think they might also be thinking like, well, what kind of things should I ask about? Um, and that's really what I want to kind of get into next, but uh, we'll return to that after this break. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. We're in the middle of our episode talking about questions you should ask your host before a large WordPress build. Right before the break, our guest Aaron Onkin was sharing uh, some, some kind of uh, war stories, if you will, about uh, builds and, and what can go wrong and, and what might be required in terms of a rebuild. Aaron, I thought you shared some really interesting thoughts around multi-site, but now I want to get a little more tactical. Um, you know, if someone's thinking about like reaching out to their host to talk about a big build before they start or, you know, in the planning phases, what sorts of things should developers share with hosts about their large builds uh, before they start? It's a good question. Um, we often start um, like as solutions engineers by, by doing a, a type of discovery where we're just asking general questions about like the site, the audience, the core functionality and stuff like that. And it's, it's very similar to how we would uh, ask questions for a site that currently exists, maybe in a, another hosting environment that was considering moving to like our environment. They're basically different. I mean, basically not that different. Um, the only difference is like oftentimes early on in a project, um, you're really just guessing at a lot of the answers. Like um, when you start kick off a new project for a new website build, you don't always know how much traffic the site is gonna get. Um, and so sometimes we'll adapt those questions a little bit. Uh, so the question is not uh, how much traffic will the site get in the first month? The question is more like, uh, how much traffic would the site need to get in order for you to consider it a success, a successful launch? Um, 
And we would adapt that like for the, the type of site it is. For example, if it's a, a learning management system site where you're trying to get a certain number of students, we're gonna ask how many students would you need to get and also pay for your courses in order for you to consider the launch a success? Do you have goals to grow it in the first six months? Uh, like what's the threshold you're hoping to get to six months down the road or one year down the road? And uh, uh, we're, we're going to tailor those questions based on the type of site it is. So we're going to ask some different questions if it's an LMS site as if it were uh, an e-commerce site or a multi-site. Um, so but, what, if they don't, what if the people listening like, don't have a host uh, like WP Engine, uh, what, what, what should they be asking of sales engineers or other people representing like account management or making those kind of decisions with their host? Um, I think it's, it's going to be sharing as much information as possible about all the goals you have for the project. And when I say project, I mean the site. It doesn't have to be a limited time like site. Um, so uh, it's a pretty candid conversation we end up having about what things are going to look like at launch what things are gonna look like a couple weeks down the road, a couple months down the road, and then a year down the road. So we can help create realistic expectations around all those stages. Um, and oftentimes we have to ask a lot of questions about what are you doing that's like, maybe not a WordPress best practice. Like it, we're not gonna stop you from doing it, but if we know that you're doing something that's like non-standard, we wanna be able to take that into account so we can figure out if we can accommodate it. Um, do you and ever have like advise people get down to like what PHP functions do you support and like like that kind of granular level list? It can happen. Um, we've we've seen it happen. It, it was more uh, important to have those conversations around the time everyone was upgrading to PHP seven um, because there are a lot of functions that were being deprecated like be between like versions of that time. But it's somewhat less common now. If there are certain functions that you're, say, like writing a custom plugin uh, and that plugin is dependent upon that function, then absolutely. That's absolutely something you want to share with your host. Gotcha. So it sounds like, you know, if I'm thinking about this from someone building a site's perspective, and I love how you put that you should be prepared to talk about your goals, uh, you know, because I think so much time is spent on the architecture side, but not necessarily like, what am I building and what are the specs and did I build it? Mm -hmm. uh, but thinking about, how that site will perform over time. And I loved how you also kind of framed that, you know, for a site that doesn't exist, trying to come up with some measure and measuring that against the success of the digital business, I think is, is, is critical. I thought those are really sound points. Um, so what, what should people do if they run into a barrier? Like what, what, I mean, like are barriers that hosts like there for a good reason in terms of like environment variables that might be different in one host to another? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, one thing I know about <clears throat> the flywheel platform as a like as it compares to WP Engine platform, uh, there are like various variables are different. Um, one of the most common ones we get people uh, asking about whether or not we can extend or change is the max PHP execution time. And we've got it set at a certain level on the flywheel platform for various reasons, not the least of which uh, being that it helps us keep control over like rogue processes that might be running like sucking up resources on your on your site uh, while other requests are waiting in line behind it. Um, oftentimes people find out what it's set at and they want us to extend it as far out as possible, like days or even weeks out. And that is not advisable. <laughs> uh, we can do it, but in most cases we're gonna tell you that we wouldn't advise that because uh, it's there to help keep your site running well. 
Yeah, I know there's like a lot of examples of this, like disallowed plugins, which can have compatibility issues or security or performance issues. And so I think like, you know, and I've been in that situation where it's like, oh, I want to do this thing, but it doesn't work in this environment. And I found that historically it was better to ask like, well, why doesn't it work? So I can understand like maybe it's there for a good reason. Yes. And maybe I've made a, a choice that wasn't uh, the best choice. Aaron, this has been super insightful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly, anytime. Awesome. If you'd like to learn more about what Aaron is up to, you can visit WPEngine.com. Thanks everyone for listening to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. Again, this has been your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.